Hey, welcome back to E-Crime Bites. We're talking about J. Nicholas Bryant this week, who, in my opinion, is just a freaking tornado of fraud. And we're finding out bits and pieces of just these fraudulent things he would do, not just to private aviation companies, but to his own childhood friends, just to make bucks or to get free labor from people. We talked about what is fraud consisted of in Act 1? We talked about his guilty plea in Act 2. And in Act 3, we talked about him talking to the Daily Beast, which was legally not the smartest move because in Act 4 now, we're talking about the sentencing hearing, which is this is where both sides try to make their case on either him getting a bunch of prison time, which would be the government's position, or not getting any prison time, which would be J. Nicholas Bryant's position. So we're going to talk you a little bit through this and give you more of the story in the context of these sides making their case. And this is kind of the theme of how I'm going to write these stories, hopefully going forward in season two. I think it's effective, in my opinion, to show you both sides of the story, to at least, if nothing else, give you try to give you the mind state of somebody that would do a crime like this and what their defense would be. So the very first argument that the government makes that they want Brian to suffer in prison for a while, instead of, you know, just getting something simple as probation, they talked about how much work he went. He basically went above and beyond to try to convince these people of his fraudulent schemes. So, for instance, when they had these fictitious companies, there's fake oil companies, for instance, he would create fake email addresses. He would create fake websites. He would create fake people. You know, he had, for instance, a foreman named Slade, a bookkeeper named Allison. And he basically, with that whole package, was able to talk the talk of whatever scheme that he was doing at the time and convince his victims. We, you know, we just heard from Hayden earlier in act three of, you know, just how convincing it was because, you know, he went through training and everything. And then later on found out he wasn't actually working for Bryant, like Bryant said he was. So it wasn't just as simple as going online and setting up a website. Okay. Because that would be relatively easy for pretty much anybody to do in 2023, which is when we're recording this, you can pretty much go to a lot of different sites out there by the domain, set up any type of website, have it look professional, have it look corporate. That part in my, my opinion is not hard, but when he's convincing his friends to do oil well drilling, I'm thinking, okay, email addresses and websites, it's not going to, that's not going to cut it. Someone's going to say, I want to go somewhere and see some oil drilling equipment. I want to go to some land. I want to see things that I'm spending money on. Bryant went to the links to make that part believable too. He would hire people to bring equipment, oil drilling type of equipment to these different sites that Brian didn't even own to pretend that he owned them and was drilling on them to convince his friends. So when you're hearing the story of Seth and I saying, oh, you know, he got this victim and he got that victim. This is the reason why is because he went to great lengths to make his 
his scheme seem very believable. Well, and that's important because it goes to, there's no, it goes to minimizing any kind of defense he could have that he didn't know what he was doing or that he didn't mean it. Um, it, it really just kind of diminishes any real um, mitigating efforts he might have offered. Yeah, and he just made it so believable. So when you listen to this and you go, oh, I wouldn't have fallen for that. It'd be much more believable had you been a victim at the time when you didn't know this guy was swindling you because he he went to these lengths. I mean, it's, I can't think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of an episode where we covered where the fraud, where somebody's hired actual industrial equipment to be dropped off somewhere in order to fool people that they're trying to, you know, swindle. You will later on. I got an episode coming up, actually a weed episode coming up in a couple episodes that they did this. But I think this is our first one where the person went to such great physical lengths to get their scheme working that we hadn't seen on other prior episodes. But anyways, I don't want to go too much down that tangent. But because he was believable, he controlled the entire narrative and his victims just tended to believe him the whole time. Now this, this was a nugget that I left out earlier purposely to give you later on in the case. And I call it rich people shit. Why don't you tell us about it, Seth? Let's talk about some rich people shit. So the court documents tell us that in terms of these uh, big shot outfitters, um, Mr. Bryant had indicated that he had agreed to shoot a $40,000 animal and then he didn't. Uh, it was unaware that it wasn't because he changed his mind. It was because he got caught in the middle of it. And that was clarified in the response. Quote, I did look at the Big Shot Outfitters website. They do have some animals that are in the 40000 They have an $80,000 water buffalo. I guess you can kill. So the representation, they don't have an animal that's $40,000. And the court said, not a deer. And counsel said, well, they had deer up to $32,000. I mean, I'm just reading this. I'm like, just so we're clear, we're talking about rich people who go and bid on killing large fucking animals. I don't know, man. That's uh, for about the cost of a average car. Yeah, lower I, I, end car. I don't know. It reminds me of that of that uh, Jean Claude Van Damme movie where you know the bad guys like to go find homeless ex vets and uh, go hunt them down. It's like that's pretty fucked up. Um, and it's worse for animals because they can't defend themselves. I've always never liked the idea of people going like big game hunting. Like, oh, great. You have a, you know, uh, an automatic laser sighted rifle and you're going to kill an animal from a thousand yards away. Really impressive. Uh, I'm not into that shit at all. Um, anyway, they talk about there's a separate category by inch of the antler rack that's left unspecified. Um, so those are like $32,000. Maybe there are some deer that out there. I mean, they're literally arguing over nuances of you know, how do you designate which animals are worth $32,000 versus $40,000 to kill? I, I, I can't even. Yeah. And as Seth said, this is Mr. Sloan, which is the counsel or the lawyer for Bryant that's arguing this. So he's basically saying, oh, there's more. There's animals cost more than $40,000. They go all the way up to $80,000 there. It's kind of like he's not even really helping his, in my opinion, helping, really his helping his client's case at this point, because it just, like I said, this is more rich people shit where you're just like, oh my God, they, they go there and they spend that much money on, on shooting probably a single bullet to bring down an animal for forty dollars to $80,000. Mind blowing. But you go, hey, aviation, shooting big game animal. What else? 
De Bryant do? Well, here's this one's also in Seth's wheelhouse. Let's talk about stolen vehicles. Well, killing animals is not in my wheelhouse, but cars are. Um, yeah. So they're talking about a specific truck, and they do say uh, that it was uh, something along the lines of, I guess, double counting. Uh, he took the truck off the first dealership, never intended to return it. That never entered his mind. Instead, he took it somewhere else and obtained cash, and they never returned the cash. So we don't see that as double counting. So I guess the idea was he would buy a vehicle and then sell a vehicle, having never actually paid for the vehicle, but pocketing the money. And I guess this becomes down to a semantic conversation of, well, did he steal something twice? <laughs> was it double counted? I don't know. I think that's a ridiculous argument either way. Yeah, obviously the defense is saying we should only count the price of the vehicle. And then the prosecution is going, wait a minute. He stole the vehicle, gave it to somebody else, pretending he sold it to the other person, took that money too. So we should be able to count the price of the vehicle that he stole. And we should be able to count the money he took from the victim because everybody got screwed in that situation. Yep. And then, um, so we're to the sentencing hearing and we gave you a little snippet of the going back and forth between the attorneys and, you know, arguing for and against on some of these points. And now we get to the media portion of this segment, which is Brian talking to the media is now starting to bite him in the ass. So they start, the lawyers start debating about when it was that Bryant was saying that he was just as good or better than uh, Frank Abagnale behind Catch Me If You Can movie. And this kind of just opens up just a, 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 a ton of argument based upon Bryant talking to the media that if he would have just been quiet None of this would have been in the court record and it probably wouldn't affect his sentencing at all, but we're going to get into this. So in the sentencing hearing, this is the point where the government says, Hey, we got something we want to play for you and we want to submit it into evidence. And they go through the legal process and the court allows them to do that. And it's a couple of jailhouse calls with Jay Nicholas Bryant and some friends and media and so forth. There's one particular call where they're on the call. And they basically, you know, he's boasting about what it is that he's doing and, and everything that I've read, basically, this guy's always boasting about all his money and his flights and all the cool shit that he does. And he's basically uh, boasting again, even from jail about all the cool shit he did in his schemes, but they stop and they said, Hey, you know, the judge might be listening. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. His friend says, I hope the judge doesn't give you, you know, a longer sentence because of these phone calls. And then Brian says, yeah, yeah. Well, I do have to pay my price to society at some point, or, you know, I'm going to have to pay my debt. And so, you know, that's one of those things that you don't want to pop up, I guess, as a uh, defense counsel that the government steps in with and you go, wow, he should have been talking and, you know, admitting to these things and bragging about his schemes to his friends on a jailhouse call. But trust me, it gets worse because he talked to the media, right? So this, I'll let you take Seth. This is where they, um, they, they talk about alcoholism, but they very quickly pivot to this oil well, whether or not this oil well was real. And I thought this was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, so, well, the court is kind of having, I guess, a back and forth with 
Brian's attorney, uh, Counselor Sloan, where Sloan's like, he's trying to get rich by opening up an oil well. Now that oil well was never open, so we don't know if there was oil down there or not. That's hilarious. Let me just pause that. That's like saying, yeah, he stole from the candy store. But we don't know that he wasn't actually gonna buy the whole candy store and own it anyway, so it wasn't really theft, right? I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous argument. So Sloan's like, yeah, I think he was. I think he was hoping that the well would pay off and everybody would get rich. You know, he's uh, the private planes and luxury vacations, or he's always got his posse. I like that he used the word posse. Yeah. He's obviously trying to impress these people. He's posting things on social media. Um, and I guess uh, the prosecution says, first, I don't want to, I want to set the record straight on the oil well. Mr. Sloan spoke just moments ago that perhaps maybe I misunderstood him, but he understand that there was an oil well and that Mr. Bryant wanted to work to reopen that well. This is absolutely false. There was, there may have been oil wells on the property. It's property that his uncle owned. Maybe they were working at one time. I don't know all the language in the oil and gas industry, but he did not intend to open an oil well. It was not his land. His uncle did not even know he was on the land or had told people that he would open a well on the land. And the court's like, yeah, when uncle finds out, uncle said, what are y'all doing here? <laughs> and the plaintiff was like, right. Paragraph 19 in the PSR, which is a pre-court document, the court's like, get out of here. And they're like, yes, your honor. I want to set that clear. This isn't a situation where a businessman gets in a situation where he's not able to complete the task, he said. He never intended to open the oil well. He just wanted money to use as he pleased. At this point, um, they're talking about his comparison to Catch Me If You Can and Frank Abagnale and Leonardo DiCaprio. And they're saying, oh, he's getting caught up in the moment. The, the defense is saying he's getting caught up in the moment. They said the Daily Beast then comes to him and wants to talk to him, which I guess is a real big social media company. And they dis. Oh, here's Key, because you talked about this earlier, Seth. They said, which they did that despite us telling him not to, right. meaning they told their client not to talk to this guy, this, uh, the Daily Beast. And they go on to say, and I think with somebody who has obviously got insecurities and an ego problem, getting him to boast, I don't think was much of a challenge. And so suddenly here's this chance to be famous or notorious, whatever you want to call it, which is a big ego boost for him. He doesn't make a nickel off of the, what the daily beast, what they drew in that story, but she got him bragging. And I don't think she particularly cared that she was adding fuel to his fire today at his sentencing hearing. And I told him after the interview, you're likely going to pay in months and years for giving that interview. And boy does he hold on and but in interviews and in statements he said he never said he didn't do it he came to this court and he said he did it and he said he was guilty and in regards to arguments that we've made today none of them are saying he did not commit these crimes and the court said i agree and so they they can't let that be right so they got us talk about this daily beast article just a little more on the defense side and you're gonna other people are gonna talk about it here in a minute but the defense yeah. is saying in regard to the Daily Beast interview, it's like, okay, he's a big boy. He should have known better. And it's like, there's a certain poetic justice in the fact that she sort of misrepresented why she wanted to talk to him. And then he fell for it because that's what he did to all his victims. Okay. I don't know what was said. 
but I kind of feel like that's a stretch, Seth, to say like she somehow tricked him that he was she wasn't a news reporter. That seems kind of far-fetched, but maybe she did. Who knows? And they go on to say, and I suppose everybody has a reason to be outraged about the fact that he wants to be notorious or famous, but on the other hand, if he does make money from this, that's a pretty good chance that a $1.25 million restitution that he stole might get paid back. Yeah, this guy made over, or he spent over 1.25 million that he has to pay back. So the other jailhouse call that we didn't, I told you about one of them. Here's the second one. He told his friend on this jailhouse call, again, recorded, you know, this is recorded. It tells you, you are recorded when you call. And he says to his friend, we're gonna quote unquote, get paid for this shit. And he asked his friend to send this article link to Inside True Crime, which I guess is like a true crime program of some sort. Oh, hey, they actually tell you in the court paperwork. I will tell you, it says, this is a website that is maintained by Matthew B. Cox, who is a true crime writer. It's a man who he reached out to himself in early August when he knew after he had received the target letter. And the target letter means he knew he was under investigation. It's a legal process thing. So. He knew he was under investigation and then he went and talked to Inside True Crime after. And the prosecutor goes on to say, I think that just shows an absolute lack of remorse and acceptance with just the gravity of his crimes, the number of victims who suffered and the way the ways in which they suffered. So you're still you're going, oh, my God, this guy's digging himself a hole. Well, yep. Even after being transferred to the Bailey County Jail, I believe that might have happened in January. This is the prosecutor saying this. I'm not sure. He contacted a Texas monthly journalist, the journalist who wrote the Daily Beast article, to just let them know, hey, I'm being held over here now. Let's continue this conversation. So they're saying it's not accidental that he went and did this media interview. He knew what he was doing. And in fact, he knew what he was doing so much that he said, hey, when I was transferred from one facility to the other, he updated them and said, this is where I'm at now in case you want to talk to me. So they go on to say that he did this even after, after pleading guilty to this crime, which is mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing. You don't see this very often and he did it. And he didn't go in there and just say, I accept. It's not like he, he printed an article and said, I'm terribly sorry I did all this stuff. He basically was boasting the whole time in this article. And so at the end, Brian's allowed to give a statement. And it's a pretty short statement in my opinion. And I'm just gonna let Seth read it here. I think word for word, cause it's so short. So Brian states, quote, I would like to sincerely and humbly apologize to all my victims and my family. For years, I watched their confusion at the chaos drugs and alcohol caused in my life. The seriousness of my actions had zero impressions on my drug and alcohol induced mind. These last 15 months I've been incarcerated have shown me how devastating my choices have been on my life and others. I have failed as a father and a son. I've wrecked every relationship I've had, burned every bridge I've crossed. I heard so many people trying to become someone I'm not. I was a greedy, unremorseful monster hurting everybody in my path. I'm 100% responsible for my actions that have led me to this courtroom today. I'm ready to make, ready to pay my debt and restitution to society and my victims and come out of my sentence a better man and father. Thank you for giving me the chance to change my life. 
thank you for my family for supporting me. So at this point in the legal process, you can imagine the defense has given their argument of why he should get little amount of imprisonment. The government has made the exact opposite argument and the judge has got to figure out what his sentencing is. And we're going to pause here on act four and make it come back for the actual sentencing in act five, because the judge has got some shit to say and it's important and we're going to read it to you. So if you liked anything in this act four, please, if you're on Apple podcasts, leave us a five star review there. And that's about half of our audio listeners, according to the statistics that Podbean tells me. If you're on our video side, if you're on say YouTube, give us a like, give us a subscribe. If you're on any app, um, you should be able to subscribe or follow us. And that way you'll know about these new episodes and acts that we come out with. And if you're on any other social media platform that I didn't mention, I'm sorry, but just fuck off. No, again, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I try to make us as accessible as possible on every platform that I can without pulling my hair out. So if you're on something like Instagram or LinkedIn or something like that, Facebook to watch us, please subscribe and continue watching us there. Like us, whatever the positive action is on that platform, please do it because it helps us out. And we will see you back tomorrow with Act 5, which is going to be J. Nicholas Bryant's sentencing. <laughs>